Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time, personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys, and the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it, um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So you know, a lot of marketing these days is, what, hurry up and wait right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot and it's able to pull in lead and contact information so you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead. Find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last. So, Hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. And there it is. Little click. Bloop. And we're like on. We're just cranking. We're going to have an amazing episode. I'm excited. I can't wait to tell you all who I get to chat with today. She is an international marketing leader, thought leader, a writer, speaker. Uh, amazing stories. And we're going to get into some of these and just learn from her and talk about marketing and just geek out. She actually covered Nelson Mandela's first speech in the United States. Uh, she's an international marketing professional. Um, currently the CMO of Log DNA. Chris Bondi, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So this is fun. We're going to talk about all sorts of things. Marketing, this is our marketing leadership series. So understanding what are CMOs looking at, what do you like? What do you not like? And so we're going to start the show off the way we start every show. Let me grab this. It's really heavy. All right, here it is. Take this for me. This is Thor's hammer. <laughs> uh, so there you go. There you go. You got it? Got okay. it. Got, got it. it. Um, smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, drives you crazy. Just set the record straight. Um, so 
I would say one of my one of my top misconceptions that just irks me is uh, is the when I hear people say you can't market to developers, ah. uh, and and I often hear that not only I hear it from marketing people, which is even more annoying, but I hear it from from actual developers, or I'll hear it from salespeople. And what I consistently say is that if you're thinking about marketing and selling selling to developers as like fluffy and pushy, that's not marketing. That's bad marketing. Right. You okay. So, yeah. so marketing to developers is is dev advocate and so the dev advocacy and the education the whole thing of of empowering an end user to educating them and how to use your product and having them make informed decisions that's marketing ah yeah you know so it's not but if i go out and say if i go out with hey, I want to get as many scans as possible at an event and without having a conversation to, with somebody about, you know, well, what what problems are you facing and, and how are you using this technology? Oh, really? You're using that technology and, you know, how's that working for you? And, you know, how are you developing? And yeah. you're doing this, you're doing that. Have you seen this issue? Have you seen that issue? Oh, this is working for you. That's great. You know, and that, that's marketing. That truly is marketing. And if somebody's not doing it otherwise, it, it irks me because one, it's a misconception, but two, because it uh, it it feeds itself. Yeah. And it, and it drives me even more crazy if I hear it within my own organization. Right. Right. Is, is it just that developers will will suffer the marketing a lot less than, I mean, is it less patience for the bad marketing? I mean, you, oh, my no, I, I, just, didn't I work, think it's, you know, I think it's, no, I think it's lazy marketing. It's I mean, like, I don't, yeah. I'm not putting this on the developer. I'm putting it solely on the marketing people. Yeah. But like, but it, do they just not put up with it as much or no or marketers are like, it doesn't work. So we're going to be lazy about it. Like, it's both. It's okay. an excuse for the marketing side. Ah, yeah. And for the developer side, it is um, not, you know, they have a bad taste in their mouth because people have come at them in a lazy, uninformed way. Right. So, um, whereas if if you come at somebody and you come with with really the the right mindset, where we're all in it together. Yeah. And and it is, um, you know, there's almost it's. You know, there used to be a thing, and I'm going to say used to because I don't like, <laughs> I want to believe it's not always the case anymore. But, you know, there used to be this thing of, you know, you, you know, oh, what the marketing and salespeople say, like, it's, you know, it's whatever you need to get the sale. And it's not always what's the current of the product or, or what things right. really are. And that's just, that's in between being poor, poor sales and marketing and, um, and just frankly wrong. Yeah. And I think that we have evolved to be past that. And mm -hmm. maybe not everyone has, but I think we've evolved to be past that. But because of that experience, people have a bad taste in their mouth. And I think yeah. that we have gotten past that now, or we should have gotten past that now. Right.
Right. You know, I, it comes back to just helping, right. Just providing right. value for whoever, whatever entity type of humans on the other end, you know, whether they're in sales or finance or dev or. Exactly. How, how do it, you get it, into their heads? Cause maybe that's the problem marketers have if they're marketing someone in it or dev, like, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what they even think. It's like a different language. They think, well, then, then they need to educate themselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is, uh, if you, if you're a marketer and you don't understand what the, the persona and the audience that you're working with, if you don't understand that, then you need to educate yourself or you shouldn't be in your role. Right. Boy, I've right. come out really harsh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You just <laughs> you just laying the smack down. That Thor's hammer is like, ouch, I haven't been used this much. That that's great. So okay. So th- how do you go about learning what's in the head and, and understanding your, your um, buyer when they're especially when so they're a developer? It, right. Well, it is um there's reading. There's okay. and and in in the beginning, you read above your level. And what okay. I mean, your, your technical level, if you, um, so my background is not, I'm not in, I don't code. Okay. Um, but I understand the development process. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I understand the development process. I understand technologies. I've been in the space for a long time. I, I will say that, but but from the beginning, it was both reading technical blogs, yeah, uh, and reading technical blogs as well as reading analyst reports, and that then you start getting the, oh, this is what it means to the end user. Oh, this is what it means to the business. And in my role is to be specifically my role is to be the translator in between mm-hmm. the technology and what the business value is. Right. And so really understanding what that ecosystem is. And, uh, and so it means not only reading, but then asking questions. Um, if you, you know, can go into like the deepest depths of, you know, 2006, 2009, let's say 2006, yeah. whatever Twitter started. And you see my early tweets. My early tweets are things like, it's actually asking questions oh. about, um, you know, to my developer friends, why would you pick this type of technology over this type of technology? And it's things like that. And just asking the questions. I wouldn't, to, in today's world, I wouldn't necessarily do that on Twitter. But when Twitter was starting, that's what I was doing, was I would ask questions. Right. That makes sense. So it sounds like you did your research. You were okay asking questions. Did you have to learn the tech? Because I think that maybe some people are a little nervous, you know, if they're not coders. How did you get your, your head around? Did you eventually learn code or speak the uh, tech language? I definitely speak the tech language. Nice. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I mean, you're always learning. You're always asking questions. I think that one of the most important things is to ask good, good follow-up question. Oh, okay. Did you do buyer persona interviews when you first got in the role? Did you like call buyers and like interrogate um, them? And- I would sit on sales calls. Um, ah. So that's when I, when I started, it was sitting in sale, sitting on sales calls 
and being the, the quiet person in the room. You learn so much on those sales calls. It's, it's amazing. You do. And, but I also think that it's, again, it's a type of thing of, it's not just the end of the call. Then at the end of the call, you turn to the, you know, the prospect is off the phone and you turn to the person and you say, now, why did you ask this? Or, well, so they said this, what does, you know, what would that mean? Right. Oh, that's smart. Not just the, the, the top layer of conversation, but understanding what exactly was going on. Help me decode what I just heard here. Um, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, I could see how that would quickly get you up to speed on jargon, on lingo. But um, I also spend a lot of time with, with product people. Oh, okay. And so, um, so, for example, right now, so on Monday, I have an analyst briefing. And I, um, sometimes I do analyst briefings by myself. Sometimes I'll do it with somebody like um, we have a great director of product marketing who had been a, um, who'd been an engineer before. Okay. Yeah. And so I, um, I did one recently with, with him on the call where he was doing, he did the product demo and he, uh, I had him present what our product was technically, but when, uh, and then, so I gave the, here's what our, here's what our product is. Here's, here's the, here's the value and the audience we serve. He went into the technical part of it. When the analysts started asking questions, we both ended up, so I usually in a different life, I would have just given the color commentary. What <laughs> right. I actually did in this case was I started answering some of the technical questions all with, no, it wasn't on camera. So all with an eye of me watching him waiting to see if I was, you know, like yeah. if there was anything I was misstepping. Right. Um, and I specifically, uh, and I didn't, he answered most of the technical questions, but there were a few that I answered because I was giving him guidance on, mm. on doing the bridge. Yeah. But I also was looking at him going like, you know, to make sure that what I, when it got into the deep technical that I actually was saying it correctly. <laughs> right. Um, and you're, because you're it, was a, it was a question, yeah. it was a question about, uh, that was deeper technical than we usually go. And it God. was, um, you know, why is it, why is X, Y, Z happening? Okay. And so, um, you know, I, I answered the question, but then followed up with, you know, in front of an analyst said, you know, can you, you know, is that, did I say that? Did I say that correctly? You know, yeah. So, um, he said, like, yeah, you, you said it correctly. Like, <laughs> Good. Just, yeah. I wanted to make sure that I said it correctly. Um, and then I will, on the, the briefing I have coming up on Monday, I'm going to do it with our head of product. Ah. You know, I, I don't have much experience with analysts. What, what's your, your, your take on that? And is it, is it more heavily weighted? Obviously when there's, it's a software product you have, um, and, and did you, have you known about, have you been working with analysts for a while and, you know, any, any top three tips for how to really um, approach that? Yeah. I, I think that, I think the thing with analysts is, so there are four things that you want to get out of an analyst relationship. Okay. Everyone thinks about like, oh, I want to be mentioned in the report 
or I want to be on the magic quadrant if it's Gardner. Um, right. And that's one thing. The other thing is, is to, um, even if it's a briefing and, you know, officially you're supposed to only be consultation that you're getting feedback, but in a briefing at the appropriate time, say, you know, you know, this is, you know, this is, we see things as blah, blah, blah. Is that what you're hearing? Like uh-huh. getting that, that feedback about is, is very important. Um, the next part of it is getting a mention or getting your, your information used by the analyst. So I've been fortunate that uh, twice I have been, if you've ever heard of the Gartner Cool Vendor Reports. Yeah. Um, so twice I've, I've had companies that have gotten that. And in one of the cases, the analyst was actually using some of my slides when she presented. Wow. And, and so, you know, like, so having your, your content used by them. And then the fourth one is. Does it, it has your logo on it and everything too. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's them, them saying like, here is, you know, here is this company that is doing work in this area and they're showing it like, you know, they're, they're seeing it like this. And so there's that. And then the fourth thing is actually being, uh, being recommended. So uh, I have from a consumer of analysts, um, analyst consultations in a past life, been in a position where we were getting new software. Mm-hmm. And I called up an analyst and said, we're, you know, who should be on our list of vendors that we talk to? Right. And they gave us, you know, not only the large one, but here are these three up and, you know, these companies that are expert, experts in this area. And we talk to all those companies. So those are the four things that you will get out of a a good analyst's relationship. I love that. I love that. And just understanding that it's a two-way street. You can be providing information, but also trying to get the feedback, understanding, you know, does this resonate with you? Is this what you're hearing as well? Are we on point with this? Well, and and at a, because I know this is the senior series, I think that that's one of the most important things for a head of marketing to be doing is to not only to not only be looking at okay how are we bringing in leads but then from the positioning standpoint of does what does what i'm saying resonate and then also i don't want to paint us into a box that is even if it looks like we're, we're good for now where is everything going and right. which is the reason why you need a broader analyst relationship than just one analyst firm. Right, right. So that you're you don't just sort of go, follow this one single path in this one direction yeah. and end up at a dead end or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. Interesting. You know, having multiple analysts and in, in different inputs, what's your take on competitors? You know, are, is it is it what is it? <laughs> what is- in our competitors? Yeah, yeah. Do do you utilize them for research? Do you ignore them? What's your take? And and uh, are, do most marketers do this right or wrong? And what's it your? Does, it depends on the it. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the competitor. Um, I um, I will look at if we're talking specifically analysts. I'll look at reports that mention competitors. I'll look at um, I'll look at how our competitors are going to market and, and 
how they're doing, but I also will be very aware of where our differences lie. Right. I don't rely on an analyst to tell me the differences between us. I mean, frankly, I look at that before I'm coming into a company. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. You know, I, I have a unique history of going to different companies. So I do a lot of due diligence before I walk into a company. Right. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I kind of, I would assume that everyone does that, but I, you'd I be surprised. <laughs> um, well, you know, we talked about marketing to developers. I wanted to get your thoughts on marketing to marketers. Love it. Leave it. What do you think? Um, it's not a space I would want to be in. Sure. I, um, I will make a statement and I will be very clear that I have said this now for a few years. So take it for the grain of salt. It should probably be taken with. Goody, sounds like we're about to get the good stuff. No, no. It's, um, I look at MarTech and I think it's ripe for implosion. Mm. Uh, again, I've said that for a few years now. So take it for what it's worth. Uh, I, the reason I wouldn't want to be in that space is in some, I know marketers who prefer it because they think it's easier to sell to them. Yeah. I look at it differently as I think of when you're selling to marketers, there's only so many pennies in the jar. Mm -hmm. So your competitor isn't only, so say, say, say that marketing automation was a new thing. Sure. And it's not only that your your competitor is those other marketing automation companies, it is whatever other technology. Mm. And probably more specifically, like I have people come to me who are who have newer technologies. They're going to have to displace something else for me to be able to use them. Right. And right. it may be that they're displacing a a program, you know, so maybe they're displacing um, some type of advertising, but they're displacing something in a budget because there are only so many pennies in the drawer. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. I, I was talking to my friend David today who uh, owns his own business and, and he's like, his team keeps bringing him more tools. And it's like, well, if you, if you want to buy this next tool, you got to find two that you want to get rid of. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you're right. You're not just competing with the other people in your specific category. You're just competing no. across the entire marketing budget, which exactly. might involve lead gen and other things. So if you're not if you're not the you know d delivering the the hot lead to revenue facet, mm -hmm. you're just a nice add on. You may get pushed aside for something that delivers some, something even more relevant. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's a reason why I wouldn't want to be in that space. Um, but like I said, I've, I have said for several years that it's ripe for implosion. So yeah, tell me about that. What, do I know? what, what kind of signals that it's right. Is it like a, we're ready for the pets.com bust type thing? Um, or? I don't, I don't, I no. I think of it more as there are so many different softwares hmm. that I'm looking at. Can there really be five softwares? that do this one thing and you know, will there only be two or three of them? So when I say implosion, that means that there could be acquisition. I yeah. mean, if you look at, so um, Eloqua is owned by Oracle now, Marketo is owned by Adobe, 
Pradot is owned by Salesforce. So right. that that space has that I consider an implosion only in that there were at the time there were like, I don't think sales genie exists anymore. Like there, uh, I don't know if, um, silver pop got bought and silver. Yeah. Silver pop. And then there was, um, Oh darn. There was one that was, this is so bad. Cause it's based in Sacramento. Um, there was like, there was another small one. Yeah. And, and so to me, those being purchased by other larger companies, and then there were probably like another three or four that just went away. Yeah, the consolidation. So me, yeah. Yeah. So that to me is that's what I mean by implosion. It, it ends up being the consolidation and acquisition. Right. So many, so many vendors out there. And it's yeah. like the the ones are gonna rise to the surface, the platforms are gonna make their plays, and the platforms right. always win. So pick a platform and you need a, you need like a big brother, big sister to buy you. Otherwise you just get sort of drowned out now by the billions of dollars of advertising. Yeah. So, so, so where you see a lot of that is it is in advertising enablers. I see a lot of, and also things that are app related, both Mm. app measurement and app marketing are things where there is a fair amount of companies still. So it's right for some kind of movement there to, Again, I could be very wrong. I could be wrong. I could be wrong in timing. It is not my area of expertise. It it seems noisy. I mean, Scott Brinker always has his chart getting bigger and bigger. Even with the consolidation, they keep being more and more. And Mm -hmm. even if you gave each one of those a dollar, you know, like it just doesn't work. So um, what, why, why do you think this even happened? Just out of curiosity. Um, I think that, so I think that success, uh, you know, success ends up meaning that there's more, more better or different versions of it. Sure. And that's also something that doesn't just happen in MarTech, mm-hmm. happens in, you know, I see it in development all the time where just because it's a different way of doing something and it may be a if you're, you have to come up with, and this is a marketing thing overall, it's not just, are you, are you answering a pain? Mm -hmm. Are you answering a pain that somebody cares about? (laughs) So it's, um, I think Jason Lipkin talks about the difference between a vitamin and an aspirin. Yes. You know, and it really describe that for people that haven't, haven't. uh... Oh, certainly. You know, so are you going to make things better for someone? Or are you answering a pain? And so if I were to say, in fact, I just had this conversation recently with someone I was trying to explain about some different technologies. And I was saying somebody who is somebody who's on the journey to picking up a new technology, um, you might be able to make things better for them. But if they haven't, them compared to someone who has already deployed a different technology and it's causing them all kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. That second one where they're, they're in the midst of a lot of painful problems, they're an easier sell. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it is, and, and it, when I say an easier sell, it could be that both of them are a legitimate sale. It's just which one's going to be the faster sale 
the faster sale is more likely to be the one that is in the midst of we can't deploy because this keeps breaking. Right. Yeah. As opposed to yeah. we need to, you know, we need to get this right so that things don't break when we deploy. That second one who has already had the problem mm -hmm. will be somebody who wants to move quicker. Right. I mean, you've got a splitting headache. Hmm. Do right. I go get some vitamins to feel better a week from now? No. I need right. to feel better now. Right. And I will pay, you know, I will pay, like, I don't know if you've ever been to the airport and you have a headache and you go into one of those stores, you're like, yeah, I'll pay the $5 and 80 oh, cents. For no, the no, little. no. I, I'm in the airport regularly. And I will tell you that if you look at where my receipts are, coffee and Advil are <laughs> one of my number one, like disturbingly in almost every trip or every other trip. I'm buying a small thing of Advil and a cup of coffee. Yep. Yep. And and it's not usually just a little two pack. It's like a bottle. So oh, no, no, no. I buy, I, I buy the bottle. Yep. Um, and I, and that bottle takes me, disturbingly takes me through a few trips and then I'm yep. in another airport and I'm paying $10 for 14 or 20 Advil. You're right. Five was a little conservative. It is more it of was. like eight, eight and change, yeah. 10, depending on what, what store. And you're like, yeah, but I've got a headache, so I'm going to pay this price. Yes. Whereas, do I want the emergency or some vitamin yeah. C hauls? Eh, maybe. You know, yeah. it's more of like if I have extra time or money, I'll get that. But if I have a headache, I will stop. I will get that thing. And and it's so it's so cool that you bring that up in terms of the marketing because it it's a good also probably for choosing what company you're going to work at is right. the company's product. You know, a vitamin. It's a nice to have. Right. You forget about it tomorrow, and you'll be fine. Or is it one of those things that solves one of those imminent pain points? Right. Right. And the imminent pain point could even be, could be revenue related. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. You know, it's also the thing of, uh, and it really does depend on, in some ways, what the economy is like uh, or what, what they care is for a specific company. But, you know, there was a period of time where you, you were able to, if it was revenue related uh, and more likely to make a dollar, you mm -hmm. had a better shot of it being help uh, being purchased than if it was going to save a dollar. Right. And I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore, but that was for a period of time. So make more likely to make a dollar than save a dollar. I mean, that makes sense too. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, cool. Save money. Yeah. 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 But we got, we want to spend it. We need to get the leads. Just, right. You're going to the CEO well, and say, hey, I, I saved I'm you a actually, whole bunch of money. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, yeah. But I was actually thinking more of, I was coming back to the, again, my world. So I was coming back to yeah, the yeah. developer side sure. of, does it get, you know, can can it get your product producing money faster as opposed to trying to sell savings to a CIO? Yeah, okay. Got it. Because then it, that it then now you're pinging a different person on on the on the board, right? You know, you, you're either pinging the the revenue side or the cost saving, the cost center right. side, right? Yeah. And the revenue side can be boundless, whereas the cost saving might be a percent of something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 frankly, people are often more skeptical when you say you're going to save them money. <laughs> funny, funny how that is, right? That's probably, yeah. it's probably more accurate to say that you're going to save them money. Whereas making the money 
you know, results may vary, <laughs> right? But uh, but people are more skeptical about that. That's interesting. More skeptical, and also skeptical, and then also they might not. Um, they also may not care as much if, depending on the size of the company. True. So, um, getting product to market quicker, there is a. Um, even if I can't tell you the dollar amount, if it's a difference between you're going to have a new product in market or you're not going to have a new product market, obviously having a new product in market in a month earlier yeah. will definitely make you more money than not having you having it in, in market. Yeah. That's that speed, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a phrase speed kills, you know, but it can also kill in a great way. Like it speed closes deals, speed moves companies forward. That makes total sense. Um, question. Are there anything that, any new things coming out, speaking of talking to analysts, looking at competitors, any new things coming out in marketing that kind of have you excited or at least, you know, intrigued enough to take another step closer and examine? Um, I would say it's a trend more than a new thing. Sure. And that is, and I, I think it's actually how we're, um, overall, how we're selling and how people are, are using and that is the concept of of creating a movement mm. and um, and being part of something bigger than just your own company. So I'll give you an example. Um, I'll give you a few examples. Uh, if you look at if you look on the consumer side and you look at iPhones and iPhone users, you have people who, you know, you have people who will don't know each other, but will give advice to each other Mm -hmm. on like, oh, I found this like new thing. Oh, I found, you know, and it's the hacks of being able to, to use it better. Sure. So that that's on a consumer side. That's sort of, they were all in this together. Yeah. Um, I, when I look at it from what's happening now on again i'm in if i'm looking in my space mm-hmm. um there is a a movement in technology of being not um not all about just the you know be my be my customer and and work within my product yeah there that that's in my mind that's the legacy version of the world there there's a movement towards how do we empower users to be more productive and that may mean that you're not using us for every single thing but you can get in and out of our product quickly you can get what you need and it empowers you to create better product mm. um it's approach we have but we're not the only company that has it and and i think that's the other thing is is that being part of a movement means that you're part of something larger than just your company. And that is something where when you're looking at, okay, where is, what are the themes? What are the, what, what do people, our competitors and our ecosystem, um, our, our, our friends, our partners or potential partners, what are, uh, what are the, things that are in common with all the people who they sell to who we all sell to and so it's not just when you're looking at persona it's not just 
what is their tech stack and who that who are they but it is what their what is their job so if you take a step back and you say like this is a thing where like oh i may have this pain point that we're addressing mm-hmm. but do they care about that pain point and does a person who does a person who is um who is actually cutting the check do they care about mm. that pain point right um so if i say like oh it you know it makes so and so's life easier does a person who's actually <laughs> cutting the check care that so and so's life is easier right or do they just want them to do their job <laughs> yeah exactly oh that's a good point yeah it just okay you made someone's life easier but you know there's there's a whole account happening here what's your take on abm is it have you been doing the abm thing for a while or um abm has had many names a long time ago it was called swarm marketing wait wait what was it called swarm swarm same concept the exact same concept oh my goodness really Uh, yeah there books on that and everything and conferences and uh i'm gonna say there probably wasn't conferences there may have been books okay um but the way that I approach ABM is a hybrid approach. And I know for a fact, I'm not the only person who's approaching it as a hybrid approach. Uh, so ABM, in my opinion, is, um, is appropriate for a certain type of customer that you're going after. Sure. But I've seen companies who have ABM to the, uh, been so committed to ABM that they have ignored cohorts. Mm. And, uh, and I think that that is, um, short-sighted. I think that part of what you need to do is to measure everything and measure it. Um, so part of what we do is we've implemented advanced attribution. Sure. It's something that I I developed a few companies ago. I mean, I say a few companies ago. I guess at this point, probably maybe eight or nine years ago. Wow! And so that is uh, not only measuring the lead and lead source for what's come in, but then the most recent lead and lead source, so that we're we're both tracking where something's come from, but also what's converting. Hmm. What what is that thing that made it convert? And that most recent lead and lead source is what gets, uh, what gets uh, stamped onto opportunities. Sure. So we can then measure if you were a lead that uh, came in because we met at a conference. Right. And that's great. But it was then six months later, nine months later, three months later, whatever it was, that there was a specific webinar or there was something some type of content or something that you took an interest in. And that's how you ended up getting engaged in the process. Right. Knowing what both of those are is very important. Yeah. I had what, where this came from. And I said like eight or nine years ago, it came from, I was at a company and I was having a, what I'll call passionate discussion (laughs) with a VP of finance. Uh Oh, finance deadly. Who said the words, um, he said, you know, why are we spending money on content? Because it's the leads of people who are requesting a trial that are converting to opportunity. 
Uh-huh. And um, I, so my version of a bad attitude is that I, um, I stayed in the office until 3.30 or 4 that night mm-hmm. um, because I pulled down everything into an Excel spreadsheet and, and manually mm-hmm. did all the calculation. And what, what we came away with was if somebody were to come in and sign up on the website and uh, they had a 46% chance of becoming an opportunity, but if they saw our content somewhere else and then came to our website, they had a 73% chance of becoming an opportunity. Uh-huh. Um, so we found this out because I had a bad attitude and I spent all that time manually calculating it. Um, the important Did you throw thing it on was, his desk in the morning when he got in? You're like, we're still there. <laughs> um, I took a short nap. I came back. Um, we had a, we had a calm discussion where, you know, and it was a thing of me like taking him through. It's like, Oh, you're right. <laughs> right? I was like, okay. You're ready I for will... a fight. And he's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Dang I will. And I was like, okay, I'll never go through <laughs> this again. We need to actually bake this sure. into Salesforce. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, understanding both, understanding that the journey, the context of the situation is so important. I, I think sometimes people get lost trying to track maybe the last touch or trying some middle touch where they don't even right. have a clear understanding of the first touch. And it's like, right. you know, it's like first things first, but then keep adding more data points on so you can have that big picture and be able to have those conversations and justify right. what's going on. Right. Exactly. Makes sense. You know, how about chat? How about, I, I've seen chat just sort of come out of nowhere in the B2B world and to your point about Swarm and ABM, chat's yeah. been around B2C for a long time. I remember using it, yeah, I would say as a teenager, I remember using it at least a decade ago, being mm-hmm. the guy answering a question on a shopping cart. Um, so I think it depends on the company, but mm-hmm. I've been in companies where it has been, again, the number one converter. Really? Yeah. And I will say that chat um, ultimately is for all the um, chatbots that that exists in the world, I will say the quality of chat depends on the quality of the person who's on the other side. Okay. Yep. Uh, so it is depending on how well it's worked and how well it is um, and how quickly it's worked. And um, will really depend on what will result in either good results or like, Oh, yeah, that came in too. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, really, it really is the difference of that. So, so the results can 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 vary, vary widely, and and it really is the thing of uh, if you have somebody who is very good, like I would say, a very good SDR. You have a very good SDR who is, um, and I mean, when I say A, I mean actually having it um, round robin through the SDRs uh-huh. and you have people who are, who are on top of it. Yep. By far a fantastic way of engaging someone. It seems like a shift from, you know, and you kind of hear this every now and then for people saying like, you know, marketing is all about hurry up and wait, you know, Oh, we got to get your, con- get your conversion. You're researching right now, but we'll get back to you. And then 
now sales has to do a, a one week or more dance trying to schedule time to get back with you when maybe we could answer your questions right now. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, and also the whether the SDR is under marketing or sales is is depends on the company. Yeah, true. True. Do you want to put a put an iron in that fire? Um it usually is under me. It's not currently under me. Um and which I'm perfectly fine with because sure. we have um we have a really good manager who is um an inside sales manager and it makes perfect sense for that person to be managing them. Got it. Yeah. Uh where when it's been under me in the past, it's been that the the head of sales is focused on closing deals and there is uh no one more concerned with whether the the leads that are begin, being given to sales are the right leads mm-hmm. than than marketing and so i think in a lot of cases it makes sense for marketing to have it right. in this case we have somebody who's in between there who is an inside sales manager and I think that that person has such a tight tie-in with marketing that it makes perfect sense. Okay, that makes sense. Sometimes with that debate, there's people hardlining on one side or the other. But I like I like your answer. It's like you know, really either as long as you're you're aligned, as long as you're connected, and you yeah. have the right person in charge, and then the, to your point, the right person at the keyboard, right, doing the the, the chit chat or the phone call, right, exactly. Makes sense. Well, this I've just been learning left and right. I my next question really, who are you? Like, where did you come from? How did you become this sage, this wise marketer? Um, gosh. Marketing uh, leader and all these things. Uh so let's see. Um, hey, take us back. Take us back wherever you want to go. Uh so I started uh we'll we'll start we'll start my college. Um yeah. I went to the University of Pittsburgh. Okay. I had a dual major of communication and rhetoric, communication, rhetoric, and political science, a minor in journalism. Oh. Uh, so even when I was in college, I would say that my major was manipulation and persuasion. Oh, I like that. Uh, did you did you know that's what you were doing when you signed up for it, or did you <laughs> kind of just fall into it? Um, I interestingly, I knew I wanted to be in business. I don't. I can't say at that age, I knew what that meant. Right. But I knew I wanted to be in international business. Uh, I also actually originally wanted to be a reporter until I, and did some reporting and then found out that um, uh, I figured out very quickly that I didn't like the salaries of reporters. Yeah, it's tough, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. You, do, you do some free, I did the same thing. Do a little freelancing. Oh, this is fun. You see your name in print and you're like, wait a minute, I spent like hours on that. <laughs> Like, wow, uh, I, I really, I, I so respect reporters. Um, so, uh, so that's where I started. Uh, the, I have a unique background in that I moved to California. I moved to San Francisco in time for a, um, uh, in time for a recession, but the difference with that recession than anything I've since seen since then was it was still far enough back where the people who were being laid off thought they were going into another corporate job. Um, so I came in at a very young age and was managing projects in corporations and had probably, not probably, 
far more responsibility than I should have had. Uh, and so I, that's how I got started was I went from contract to contract from a few years got it. Okay. on large contracts in, uh, in companies. And so I was able to, to get a lot of experience and then, uh, about well, it's 2020. So I guess about 20 years ago now, wow. I switched over to technology. And, and that was even kind of a happenstance type of thing that I switched over to technology. And what were you before that? Just um, random business industries kind of thing? Healthcare. Healthcare. Okay. Yeah, healthcare yeah. And, and, and business. Uh, yeah. Random business and healthcare. And so switching over then, and I do think that that the journalism background helped me greatly. Uh, I don't, I'm certain that I'm not more intelligent than anyone else. Sure. But what I did have was I've always asked good follow-up questions. And so to your early question about how did I learn? I, I interviewed people. I inter, I, you know, whether it was a, a formal interview or not, it was getting to like, well, how does it do that? Why does it do that? Yeah. Why, you know, why are they purchasing? You know, well, do they, you know, like you say that they're purchasing for this reason, but like, why? And, and I would push it and push it. And I, that's how I learned. And that's wow. how I was then able to start piecing everything together. So um, the, a few things unique about my background is that I have had a reputation for uh, having a, having basically at this point, three, three things that people would bring me in for. And that is go to market, ramp the front of the pipeline significantly and make a company famous. And uh, up until now, usually with an eye towards acquisition, IPO or next round of funding. The reason I say up until now is because the company I'm with right now, LogDNA, I joined because uh, there was a few things. One is I wanted a certain culture, which we definitely have. Cool. The second part of it was I would not come in unless I was, uh, it was sworn up, up and down to me that we were going to go big. Mm. Um, and so that is, um, it's a fantastic company. I, I love what we do. I love the management team and I love the, uh, the drive to, make a difference for the yeah. end users and and the growth that we're seeing is based on that so that's the reason why I'm here um, it is funny that I ran into I ran into a former board member recently and he said oh you're at this company you know you're logged in now does that mean they're going to be acquired I'm like no 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 I'm here because <laughs> but it was just funny that like he, it was a default and I'm like no 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 we're like we are on a path and right. I am so happy to be on this path with this company. So wow. that's what I am and what I do. All the angel investors are like following you on LinkedIn just to see, Oh, where's she going now? Do they, <laughs> do they need any more capital there? Let's, let's give them a call. Wow. I love that. The idea of go to market ramping pipeline or just let's, let's be famous. Let's get this thing cranking. Let's, let's make some news. Well, I, I will say that the way that I've approached my, my companies has been by, I look at, by looking at them the way a VC does. 
So I do a lot of due diligence. I do a lot of looking at what is the market opportunity. And from there, if, if, if I think that somebody will invest in them, it's because I think that there is a good market opportunity. And I think that for anyone looking at a new job that it, I, I would find it hard not to be looking at a company in that way. You know, maybe I'm sure the level of detail you go into is tremendous. Would there be a couple key factors you, you look at or you would recommend other people if they're, yeah, I, I would definitely, I mean, when you, when you're looking at a company, it's looking at both. Um, when I say look at the market fit, I mean, if you're a marketing person, you're, you, you should know how to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you, if, if you don't, what I would say is um, look at, look at how much that's been invested in them. Look at how much has been invested in their, the space overall. Okay. Uh, look at if there is, uh, what pain points are they, are they solving for? And part of the thing is you may have to see what they what the leadership team itself hasn't realized yet both good and bad right so if they say like oh we sell x to if we sell x to y mm-hmm. then you can say well okay like how much does does that persona how much can they um how much how much are they allowed to 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 purchase as opposed to someone else and then look at where are people in the first the next year or two mm-hmm. where are they planning on spending money and uh and then also if you look at the analyst reports where is that going in the five-year time frame so i'll give you an example since i just did yeah. a lot of x and y's no yeah totally um so i um so i was with a company called mocha five okay when we came into Mocha 5, I came in as part of a turnaround. When we came into Mocha 5, uh, it was, so it's client, it's client side virtualization. Okay. And we came in, it was very focused on bring your own device. And this is a good example of like, oh, you know, people like having to use their own computer and, you know, oh, and companies, you know, like it could be a cost savings for the company. And, uh, so one of the first things I did was I came in in a February. One of the first things I did was I took both uh, Tech Target and ID uh, IDG both did a version of a um, survey every year. They okay. did it in the middle of the summer, so it would come out in October, November. Of here is um, here's where people are saying they're going to spend money. Yeah. And in the case of of this, there was you know if you go from left to right of left being where people will say they're going to IT organizations saying they're spending the most money, yeah. right being the least. Um, like second from like one of the, like the last things they were saying, like, oh, BYOD, they were thinking about. Number one or number two was security. The whole thing of how Mocha 5 did the client-side virtualization was seven level of, seven layers of security, this this totally wow. secure thing and it was never highlighted right it was i mean it would be highlighted as in like oh and it's secure <laughs> as opposed to coming in and saying we have this security 
thing for you. They also, they were selling to, I did an audit of what was done before then. And they, I found marketing materials of use it in your dentist office. Like these, like, oh, we'll get people in, you know, and the thinking was, we'll be able to get, if we go small to small organizations, mm-hmm. they'll buy it faster, but mm-hmm. they would buy so few of them within. So I came in in February, in July, we had our first million dollar deal and it wow. was to a large, a large oil company. And guess what? That oil company didn't care about the cost really. I mean, there was a cost savings for them, but ultimately they had purchased it for 20,000 plus um, consultants because they were giving the consultants extra, you know, they were giving them, um, having to give them a different laptop because of security. Right. So when we switched it to security, suddenly we could sell a large deal. Jeez. And I mean, that's just the thing of going like, okay, yeah, yes, people prefer to use their own laptop, but the organization, what is their biggest concern? And what are they saying they're going to spend money on the next two years? And so addressing that Mm. and seeing how you line up with it, if it makes sense for you to line up with that, that makes much more sense. What will they spend on? Where are they? What's what's on their targets? Yeah. And and also, you know, like what is, so there's another company I came into where the idea was, oh, well, it was a developer tool and it was, we will do hackathons and get developers to use this SDK hmm. and yeah. and we'll focus on really small teams because they'll be more likely to implement. And I came in and I was looking at this, um, I was looking at a timeline and it was in December, there was this, I came in in February and in December there was a spike and then it went, I think I was looking at this in March and it went like, December and then January it went down a little and then like February dropped and then March and I was looking at it with an operations person and I said what happened in February oh we did hackathon so people were creating just to create to be part of the hackathon yeah and because there was no real need by March it had fallen off Uh, and and then what you saw was that in March that happened March is when we started marketing And it started going up in April and then up in May and then up in June. And it was consistently going up because (laughs) we were actually marketing to organizations that had, um, it was specifically app related. So we were marketing organizations that had apps with a certain number of users that had, that actually fit a certain use case. And because we were actually marketing to a specific thing that was needed, um, it was what I would call like a true market fit as opposed to like, oh, let's just get people to do it. Right. And it was sustained growth. Yeah. And so, you know, just looking at those type of things, you know, if we go back to like, well, if we're thinking about what to do, that's how I would approach it. Got it. That's fantastic. Just a little bit of the right kind of research just gives you a target to point at. And then I can't imagine the joy you were experiencing as as you're seeing that number just continue to grow and improve oh, yeah. and improve. Yeah. It's like, it's That's working. We found it. Yeah, it is the yeah. fun for sure. You know, I would be, I would be remiss is a good word for that. I didn't ask you, you mentioned you know, the power of the follow-up question and it's one of your specialties. What, 
you know, well, what's your take on it? Give me a, give me your, your master course on it in the, you know, in a few minutes. What, how do we ask the right follow-up questions? Um, this is going to sound really hokey. Yeah. You actually have to listen to what the person said the first time. Interesting. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but you, the follow-up question actually has to be related to what the person just said. You know, As opposed yeah. to having your list of questions, like you need, you need the questions you're going to hit, but I often don't know what a follow-up question is until somebody says <laughs> something. I mean, you just did it to me. You did, totally. you did, what you just did now was you actually listened to me and said, you said this. So let me ask you this question in relationship. Right. That's a follow-up question. Just actually listen. You know, the hokey stuff is usually true. Yeah. You know, like anything people say is cliche uh-huh. is like just really true. And people are just weird to admit that interesting. So just actually listen. Um, don't try to script out every question in advance. No, because if you're doing that and you're, and you're saying like, oh, I'm going to ask this. And then mm. I'm going to ask them why. And then I'm going to ask them why this. And, you know, it's not to be obnoxious. Right. It really is. uh it really is something where if you have a conversation, you can better understand what somebody's doing, but by taking an interest in what they're talking about. Right. Right. Huh. Powerful stuff. I appreciate you answering that too. <laughs> I mean, it kind of humoring me because it, no, it ask, makes asking questions sense. is powerful. You know, it really is. It's if you can ask the right questions, whether you're clearly, a leader, clearly, clearly, you know that. <laughs> Well, what you're doing. <laughs> well, I enjoy it too. Like the joy I yes. get from from discovering that second question, it's it's so much fun. You're right. Mm-hmm. It, it's not you have to un, you have to uncover it. You know, like a paleontologist. Or mm-hmm. um, man, uh, you you you've had this amazing career in and people are. I I I must follow you on LinkedIn. I think I sent you a connection earlier. Like, where's mm-hmm. she going now? Like, knowing that you research these so much, it's like, oh. I plan to be here for quite some time. Okay. All right. Well, if that ever changes, well, we'll the world will pay attention to that. Um, but, you know, a question to kind of sort of wrap up the whole, you know, career and, you know, personal side. It's a hypothetical. And uh, if you could get in a time machine and go back to the beginning of your career, you just got, you just graduated with your, your manipulation and persuasion degree. Um, if you could go back and talk to yourself, at that period of time, what would you tell yourself knowing what you know now? What kind of advice or recommendations would you give yourself? Um, I actually would go back a few, a uh, few years earlier. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm going to get really specific. That's allowed. I'll allow um, because my alma mater just created a dual, uh, a, uh, a dual track that okay. didn't exist up until I think this, uh, this past September which is there's now um, University of Pittsburgh now has a dual degree in English and computer science. Wow. And I think that that combination is what I had to piece together for myself. I did a lot of intern. I did four internships while I was in college. Sure. Um, And then the, all the contract work and, and all the things where I pieced things together I think I would have gotten more out of that. And I don't think it has to be specifically that. There are a number of other universities where um, Carnegie Mellon, I know of, of somebody uh, who went for economics and economics and computer science. 
I think the combination of if you want to be in business, Mm -hmm. doing something that is both, if you want to be in my business, technology and English or economics, if you want to be in a different field, I think that economics and something is worthwhile. I also will throw in, um, because I have a teenager, I will say that the one advice I have given her, because I refuse to give her advice on what she goes to school for, nice. except that I repeatedly say, don't go for marketing. Ah. Um, and I don't say that saying not to go into marketing. She can go into what, you know, she can do whatever she wants. But my point of not getting a marketing degree is that you can, you can have, you can take an economics degree and go into marketing, yeah. but you can't go in, can't have a marketing degree and go into anything else. Wow. And so so I, you know, if I were to look back on giving myself advice in the past, there were things that didn't exist at the time or that I didn't know existed at the time. Mm -hmm. And I would have put things together that were two degrees that gave me different things. Now I will say that I think I did think I was going into politics so, or political, so they're like, I think I had the concept. I just had the wrong two degrees. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, you know, that makes total sense. I mean, I didn't get a marketing degree, you know, yeah. and mine was kind of more like what you're describing. It was computer science, but I was like, gosh, get me out of this process. I was doing like micro processes. I'm like, I'm a people person. Where are the people at down here? Yeah. No people, just gates moving back and forth. So well, I like- and, and that's, that's why I would say like, that's why I would say not just the computer science. Degree. Right. Uh, right. Because if there's one thing when I look to hire someone is I look for somebody who writes well. Yes. And, you know, I yeah, look that, for somebody I mean, who so writes true. well and somebody who wants to learn. Mm-hmm. Those are the, t- those are the two things. Writes well and wants to learn. Are you hiring right now? For those listening? Uh, I am not hiring right now. I'll be hiring later this year. But maybe we can follow you on social. So when you are hiring. Yes. I will also say that we are definitely hiring on the engineering side in a big way. Okay. And uh, we might be hiring on the product management side as well. I'm not certain. Very cool. Very cool. Well, this has been fantastic. And on that note, where can people connect with you? Where can they follow you, find out more about you, see what kind of things you're investigating? (laughs) Um, So my Twitter is at K-B-O-N-D-I, K-Bondi. The company is LogDNA, L-O-G-D-N-A.com. Those are probably the two best ways to find me. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. I, I just had thank a blast. Thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed it very much. Fantastic. You know so many things, and it was fantastic that you were able to share them all with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate talking with you. For sure. And for those listening, uh, if you learned something, and I know you freaking did because I literally have two pages of notes over here, then share this episode with someone else, one other person, be a thought leader in just with one person, two people, or a thousand. Hey, I won't complain. But like, just get this information to people's hands, especially if you know someone who's doing marketing around developers uh, or anyone that needs to know more about analysts. We learned so much today. Uh, especially those follow-up questions. 
so again, Chris, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Have a good day. Bye. You bet. For everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch you all next time. All right. A big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact, helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway. If you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in the chat, do a demo, and tell them that Casey sent you, and that book will be on its way to your door. All right. We'll see you all in the next one.